Amen. Take your copy of God's Word open, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 today, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we conclude, the Lord willing, our series in Thessalonians that we've been in the last few weeks. Paul has been building towards something. He has been reminding the believers at Thessalonica, whom he was only able to see for three weeks, to stand firm in their faith and to remind them that even though others have gone, we know where they have gone and therefore, we are to be faithful until the end. And in chapter 5, he gives us a message concerning the times and the seasons. Look with me, if you would. Concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober." For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss, except during COVID. Just kidding. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I'm always cautious when talking about the second coming of the Lord. And the reason is because of the culture in which we find ourselves there are any number of conspiracy theorists who will put X number of days and take Daniel's prophecies and take something out of context in the book of Revelation to prove that Jesus is coming back right now. Some of you be careful when you're dating yourselves here. How many of you remember the book that was written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Would Come in 88? Didn't come in 88. This man wrote 89 reasons why Jesus was going to come in 89. He stopped about the year 2000 because it wasn't going to work as well to write 2000 reasons why Jesus was going to come in the year 2000. Y2K happened. Those of you that remember that, we had storage of food and water with Clorox bleach for a year. I mean, you know, you have all of these things to where if you interpret it, 
the correct way in your mind, you can spend your days filled with prophecy charts. And what I would say to you is this. You can say that X event is happening, or this is happening in our world, therefore Jesus is coming back. If Jesus didn't come back during the Holocaust, when 6 million Jews were wiped off the face of the earth, if Jesus didn't come back during the Black Plague, when a quarter of the world's population was destroyed, you can't determine based on signs and seasons when Jesus is going to come back. And the danger is that you will spend so much time trying to nail down the second coming that you forget to tell people about why Jesus came in the first place. But having said that, he is coming. And it's one day closer than it was yesterday. And he tells us the greatest danger at his coming is that we were not found ready. That we were not found watching. To think that you have extra time is just arrogant. Someone has said that a number of people approached Satan when he called the ambassadors of hell together and said he wanted to send one of them to earth to send men and women towards the ruination and damnation of their souls. And so he is said to have asked which one wanted to go. One creature came and said, I will go. And Satan said, if I send you, what will you tell the children of men? He said, I will tell the children of men that there is no heaven. And Satan said, they will not believe you, for there is a bit of heaven in every human heart. In the end, everyone knows that right and good must have the victory. You can't go. Then another came forward, darker and fouler than the first. And Satan said, if I send you, what will you tell the children of men? And he said, I will tell them that there is no hell. And Satan looked at him and said, oh no, they will not believe you. For in every human heart, there is a thing called conscience, an inner voice which testifies to the truth that not only will good be triumphant, but that evil will be defeated. You may not go. And then a last creature came forward and said from the darkest place of all, Satan said to him, if I send you, what will you say to men and women and send them to the destruction of their souls? He said, I will tell them that there is no hurry. And Satan said, go. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, it is described as a great and terrible day. It's actually a number of days. So in the one sense, we have the second coming, the rapture, when those who believe in Jesus are called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. But then there is a judgment day. There is a day of the dead when everyone will receive judgment according to what they have done and whom they have received as Savior. It can happen anytime, any place, anywhere. No one knows, not the angels, even Jesus himself, not even the Son. And Jesus will say to an adulterous and sinful generation, you know how to interpret the skies for weather, but you can't interpret the signs of the times. And so he isn't calling us to put it off, but rather to be even more watchful that when he does come, we are found ready for him. 
So you see the wheat is being separated from the chaff, the sheep's being separated from the goats, the goats are being separated from the wolves. The scripture will say one is taken, one is left. It's the parable of the bridesmaids. Some are taken, some are left. One is plowing the field and the other is left behind and it will happen in a moment, possibly when you least expect it. Here's what happens in a minute around the world pre-COVID. 25 Americans will get a passport. 58 airplanes will take off. 116 people will get married. 144 people will move to a new home. 11,319 packages will be delivered by UPS. 243,000 photos will be uploaded to Facebook. 5,441,400 pounds of garbage will be created in one minute, according to the World Bank. 7,150,000,000 human hearts will beat over 500 trillion times. And so he says, be watchful, be aware. And he says, you yourselves in verse 2 are fully aware that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. How does a thief come? Surprisingly, how does a thief come? By having the upper hand. Because you don't know when he's going to strike, but the thief absolutely does. And he begins to contrast between the darkness and the light, between the night and the day. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction. People say, why can't we all get together as countries and hold hands and be friends? Why can't there be peace among the nations? There's not peace among the nations because there's sin in the human heart. And only Jesus can cure, that, can cure that. There is peace and security is what they're saying. And then there's sudden destruction and it comes upon them. And he says to us, you are not in darkness, brothers, but you are children of light. You are children of the day. Therefore, you are to walk in the light even as he is in the light. Why are you not to walk in darkness? Because it's not who you are. It may have been who you were, but it's not who you are in Christ. There was a woman who published a number of, uh, some time ago, on a website called The Experience Project, where they were supposed to be able to, to share life experiences from people like you. One reader asked this question, I prefer darkness over light, and she responded to it, why people often prefer darkness over light. This is what she said, I prefer darkness over light because the darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. In the dark, you cannot see what is coming next. The darkness is a place where you can lose yourself. Lost in the dark is a great place to be because you are free from what you were and can be what you want. The darkness is bliss. Jesus tells us something else. He says that men loved the darkness and hated the light for one reason, because their deeds were evil. Jesus comes as the light of the world. The one who follows him cannot have the light of darkness, but shall instead have the light of light. He says in a world filled with darkness, in a world where it's often getting bad, Jesus says to be the light. And so we have to be watchful. But then he tells us something else. We have to be ready. We have to be people who are staying alert. In verse 11, he says, Therefore we are to encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. 
Build one another up. Who have you encouraged today in the Lord? It's your responsibility as being part of his family, just as you are doing. Once you were the children of wrath, now you are the children of righteousness. Once God's anger because of judgment and sin was upon you, but because Jesus came into your heart and changed your life, now you are a son because you abide in Christ. And therefore, because of that, we are to encourage one another to be watchful, to be ready. Will the Lord find you awake or will he find you asleep at his coming? He says not only to be watchful, but to be faithful, respecting those who labor among you, are over you, and admonish you. So people that you work with, people that are in charge of your life in some area, and sometimes even people who admonish you. Listen, rebuke and correction is good. We live in a world where it's said don't ever offend someone. Don't ever tell them that they're wrong. Whatever you do, live according to whatever you think is right and don't interfere on someone else's belief. That is the most unloving thing you can possibly do because Jesus himself tells us what is the difference between a lie and the truth. What is the difference between right and wrong? So we have to be willing to speak truth in love. He says to be at peace among yourselves. Are you a peaceable person? He says to admonish the idol. There's a whole world out there talking about sharing things together, but I would just say within the church, there's a difference between communism and communalism. The early church shared things. They had all things in common, but it wasn't communism. Communalism is run by the church. The other is run by the state. One is voluntary sharing of gifts. The other is coerced and forced. It said they were sharing. They had all things in common. I want you to think about this. They had no social measures for those who could not work or who had disabilities. And so the church stepped into that gap and filled that void with hospitals and spiritual cares. Where do you think the great hospitals of our world came from? They came from the church. In fact, the Romans were so amazed at the early Christians because they saw them during the middle of pandemics and during the middle of plagues getting out among people with whom they were not related to and caring for them. And the Romans had no idea why. It was because of the love of Christ that constrained them. Admonish the idle. Encourage the faint-hearted. Are you weary? Are you heavy-hearted? Tell it to Jesus. To encourage one another. Nobody in your life is suffering from too much encouragement. I promise you. Help the weak. To help them in their faith to strengthen them in what they already know to be true. And then here's the hard one, to be patient with them all. Isn't that a challenge? Do you struggle with patience? Do you struggle with patience with people? Do you struggle with patience with your pastor? Yeah, somebody don't say amen. It's difficult, isn't it? But we're reminded to be patient with others, not for their sake, but for God's sake. Tell you, one of the great challenges for us as we continue to grow as a church is to plug people in where they, where they shine the brightest. It's to find, you know, what are your giftings? Where is your role? Where can you best serve in the life of the church? That takes time. That takes patience to build ministries the way that you need them to be built and to be effective. But he says, be patient with them all. Now, notice this. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to 
everyone. So you've heard the phrase many times, don't get mad, get what? Get even. You can't do that as a child of God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He says, in fact, you got to go beyond that. If someone gives you evil, you have to repay them with evil. Don't let evil overcome you, but overcome evil with good. Love your enemies. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. You have to think, what makes you different from the world you're trying to reach for Jesus? And if you're acting just like everybody else in the world, whether in your comments to them in person or what you post on social media, you're not being salt and light. What makes you different is Jesus. And he tells us to love our enemies, to bless them who persecute us, to pray for them who despitefully use us. Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. And he doesn't say only if they do it to you, but regardless of whether they do it to you. Look at verse 16. This is a good verse to remember. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you know, if you don't rejoice, you're eventually going to despair. Do you rejoice in the Lord? Do you pray without ceasing? Now listen, if you're driving down the road and you pray, it's okay to keep your eyes open. Please do that. You don't have to close them, pull off the side of the road. But to pray without ceasing. Every moment, every meeting that you have. Do you pray for your day? Do you pray for the meetings that you're about to walk into? Do you pray for people that God leads into your life? I'm convinced that that doesn't have to be hours and hours upon end, but rather it's a spirit of prayer. It's an attitude of prayer. Everywhere we go, the first thing I do is pray to give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you that you give thanks. I read an incredible quotation this week from A.W. Tozer. He said, when I understand that everything happening to me is to make me more Christ-like, it resolves a great deal of anxiety. And when you understand that everything happening in your life is intended to make you more like Jesus, you can relax a little bit because he's working in your heart and in your life. And in a world that has no hope, it's even more important. There was an interview done some time ago with Joss Whedon, who is the screenwriter, producer for films like Toy Story. He also did uh, The Avengers. And they asked him, what is it about hope for human race? Do you think it's actually getting better? Listen to what he said. He said, not a believer. I think we're actually becoming stupider and more petty. What's going on in this country and many countries is beyond depressing. It's terrifying. Sometimes I have to remember who I'm talking to. I'll say something about how terrible things are and meaningless, and the world is headed toward destruction and war and apocalypse. And at one point, my daughter goes, hey, I'm eight. She doesn't want to hear that stuff but I can't believe anybody thinks we're actually going to make it before we destroy the planet. I honestly think it's inevitable. I have no hope. I want to be wrong more than anything. I hate to say it. It's that line from Lord of the Rings. I give hope to men. I keep none for myself. This world needs hope. And there is hope in Jesus. And so he says, if you want to live in the power of God, if you want to give people hope, if you want to be ready for his coming, here's one of the most important things you have to do. He says, do not quench the Spirit. What is it to quench the Spirit? That is, don't grieve the Spirit. That is, don't put the fire of God among us. Have you thought about this? If you don't have the Spirit 
All you're left with is the flesh. It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. Don't put out the fire of God upon your life or someone else's life. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the truth. Say, God, help me to live each day for you. He says, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. What is he saying there? Sometimes God gives us a word of encouragement from another person. What we have to test is what they're saying backed up with God's word. God's not going to tell you anything that's contrary to his word. So if somebody says, God told me to tell you, or I've got a word of the Lord from you, you say, that's great, brother, that's great, sister. Let me see if it lines up with what God's word already says. But sometimes God does speak to us. He speaks through us corporately through his word, but sometimes he paints impressions on our hearts. Sometimes he leads us to someone. Sometimes he gives us a word of encouragement. So he says, don't despise those prophecies. Don't despise those words, but test them. Test them unto the word of God. He says, hold fast what is good. How do you know what is good? Again, you got to measure it by God's word. Abstain from every form of evil, and then remember that he who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. I read in preparing for this sermon uh, a portion of a book that I just think really speaks to what we're talking about today. There have usually been two schools of thought, at least in American religious history, about how Jesus was coming back. One is dispensational theology, which says that the world is constantly getting worse and worse, and seven dispensations will take place, and we're in the church age, and we've been in the church age for a while, and then Jesus will come back, and you measure everything by signs and seasons. Another is covenant theology, which actually sort of teaches the opposite. It says that America, like Israel, is in some type of national covenant with God, and eventually, if we'll just live right, everything will get better. Now, mixed in with that is a social slash form of prosperity gospel, which says if we just do enough good works, if we just do enough good deeds, if we feed the hungry, if we clothe the naked, if we help the poor, most of it, by the way, without sharing the gospel with them, then the world is just going to get better and better, and eventually Jesus will come back when it does. And those who said that really, truly believed that until World War I happened, the war to end all wars. And then they thought, well, the world will get better after this. And then World War II happened, which was greater in death toll than World War I. And into that gap, you and I have to understand that we ought to work to make things better, that we ought to live as salt and light, but only Jesus is going to make everything right. And so if you put your hope saying, if my kid just gets a good education, or if my kid learns how to be a good athlete, or if I line up everything so that they're a good, a good career person and they're a good citizen, or they serve in the government, all of which are great things that we should do with salt and light. But if you put everything in that, you haven't done your job because none of those can bring them to Jesus. None of those will ultimately save them. And in fact, here's what this writer wrote, Jeffrey Brown. Hear this. He says, he calls this the final victory. Some will tell you that triumph will come by the development of human beings, the gradual evolution of their potentialities. We should just give it time. Wait and see. Everything's coming up roses. 
World War I deals that theory, the cutting blow. World War II, it broke its spirit. Vietnam laid it in its grave. The takeovers of Czechoslovakia and Afghanistan shoveled the dirt of internment on it. While human, will, human progress, will human progress stop people and nations from sinning? Will human progress and achievement ever wipe away all tears from our eyes or heal our broken hearts? To ask these questions is to answer them. Now listen to this. No, the final victory will not come through some natural progress of human development, nor through the religious forces that are operative in the world right now. The victory will come, not by an improvement of the present order, but through its complete overthrow and supersession. The high point of human history will be the sudden appearance on the field of battle of the captain of our salvation, and he will come in glory, and it will be comparable to what John beheld. Look, I see a great white horse, and there is a rider on that horse whose name is Faithful and True, and there are many crowns upon his head. That when we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, now sat down on the right hand of the throne of God, that one day he will split the clouds and we will meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And in the words of Adrian Rogers, we ought to be living as if Jesus died yesterday, he rose this morning, and he's coming back this afternoon. What are you doing until then? Who are you telling about the great day of the Lord? Are you ready for his coming? Would you bow with me as our praise team comes? Service will conclude in just a few moments. But I want you to think this morning. I doubt if you get asked all that much during your day. Maybe you do if you're in a Bible study with fellow believers. Maybe you have people who talk about these things with you. But I doubt how many people ask you on a given day, are you ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Are you ready for the judgment day of the Lord? And on that day, or on that period of days, as Jesus comes, he reminds us that for those in Christ, it will be a welcome sight. Our Savior and our King will draw us home. Are you ready? But then he says, for others who have not believed in Jesus, who have not trusted, it is a day of judgment. And for those who are not under the shed blood of Jesus, it will not be a day of rejoicing, but a day of sorrow, a day of mourning, a day of great grief and loss. Because with Christ, we have hope, and without Him, we have no hope. So today, do you know Jesus as Savior and King? Are you living in light of His coming? Do you take every day that He gives you and live it to the fullest for the glory of God? Are you investing in the temporal, which will be destroyed, or the eternal things of God? Who needs to know that Jesus is coming? Father, I pray right now that you would help us in this world in which we live to remember that there is another day coming, a great day of the Lord. What a reunion it will be to see loved ones who have trusted in you. What a privilege it will be to participate in that day. But for those who do not know you, God, I pray that the conviction of your spirit would rest on their heart so that they might see Jesus for who he is. Father, for us who claim you, may we be people who are waiting for that day, prepared to tell others that he's coming and what a story it is to tell of Jesus 
and his marvelous grace. Have your way in this church. Lord, you're the one who builds it. Help us as we seek to bring others to you, to raise them up, to send them out. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.